Gracious Father, uh, we come to you this morning at this hour uh, with uh, expectant hearts, Lord, and expectant minds. We pray that you would give us ears that hear what you would have for us to hear uh, out of your scripture this morning, out of this teaching. And then, Lord God, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us hearts that desire to be available and obedient to your call in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, welcome everybody. This is a, a class called Truth and Life. Um, and uh, as Jane mentioned last week, uh, Joe Gibbs asked us if we would uh, lead this class for uh, four Sundays and didn't give us any more than that in the, uh, um, the title of the class. And so um, we felt pretty comfortable, Jane and I did, that, um, that what God was kind of working in our hearts might be applicable to, to this class and then to you guys, and that would be uh, the whole process of sanctification. And just as confirmation, we happened to be in a class um, that Mark Genelette was teaching, and he, and he used this phrase that he later told us he stole from an undergraduate professor of his, and so he said we could obviously use it since he had stole it from somebody else, and that was that grace does not leave us where it finds us. We thought that was just very uh, true and very profound in our lives. So we felt very comfortable that we, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And, um, uh, and, and I've got two that I'm supposed to do during this series. One is work and one is money. Uh, I chose work for today. Obviously, I didn't pray about it, and I didn't even look in the lectionary because everything uh, this, this morning seems to be about money. Uh, it would have been an appropriate time to do that. Uh, but we're going to talk about work today. Last week, Jane, I think, did a great job introducing the theme of how God's grace moves us. It doesn't leave us where it finds us. Uh, it draws us to Jesus, uh, and then his grace moves us out into the world. Um, and that holds true when grace first touches us in salvation, as you all know but it also holds true um, in uh, where we are in our day-to-day -day lives as Christians. And, and as um, Providence would have it, we gave that, that uh, a quotation to, to the title to Gill, and he said, well, have you read John Richardson's blog? Now, how many of you guys know John Richardson? Okay. Well, John, for those of you who don't, John uh, used to be a member of the Advent uh, years ago. Uh, I first met him when he was a, um, uh, I think he was at Arthur Young shows you how long ago it was. It was still called Arthur Young. Uh, he was a CPA, and he and I later worked together in a, in a company. Uh, and Grace did not leave John Richardson uh, where it found him. It found him here at the Advent. Um, and um, he later went on to be the executive director of Amistad in Bolivia for, uh, I think, a couple of years. And then God called him into seminary. He went to um, uh, Swanee. Uh, and then he served parishes in, outside of Chicago and in Florida. And then he was called back to be the first rector of St. Peter's Anglican Church on Montevallo Road. John today is in Atlanta. Uh, Grace keeps moving him out. Uh, he, has, he and his family have started what's called a parachute church. <clears throat> what that is? It's not a church plant. It's a parachute church. They have parachuted literally into a neighborhood in Atlanta uh, and are uh, beginning a church there. So that's where John is, and he has a, a blog that he writes that I recommend to you. It's called The Ancient Future Church. Here's what John said in his blog in, in the last two weeks relative to this issue about grace not leaving you where it found, finds you. He says, God is pleased to meet us where we are, but he's not satisfied to leave us there. It is grace that saves us. It is no less grace that sanctifies us. And then he asks the question, what is sanctification? It's to be transformed into the likeness of the Son. It is God acting upon us in the first instance. And it is God acting upon us in the second. He talks about 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 where Paul outlines this as he makes clear the work of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant even as the glory of the old covenant fades away. 
Um, and he says, God is pleased to save us right where we sit, but he's not satisfied to leave us there. He wants to remake us in the likeness of his son. And that's what we're, that's what we're talking about in these, uh, these series here. Let me see if I could do this. If I get your, 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 your heart and your mind set in the, in the right place for this little clip that I want to show you. Um, and Bart, could I have you read um, the Ephesians passage? If you would read along with Bart, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. And you be made alive, and you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Among these we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of our body and mind, and so we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and made us sit with him in the heavenly place, places in, Je- in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Mark. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Once you watch this, I think you'll find this interesting. <coughs> Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're, in essence, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a, a Picasso, you know? But I want to be a masterpiece. I want to be everything that God has created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, God, do whatever it takes to to get things out of my life that don't need to be there. Mold me into the image of your son so that I can be your masterpiece. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. (laughs) No, you're not. Yeah, you said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, If you're God, then make it snow in here. You know, if I made it snow in here, it'd get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. See, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, if you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? You know what? I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? Get it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, yeah. um, what's this about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Here we go. Step okay. right up. Here we go. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. How do you know what to chisel and what to leave? I take out all the things in your life that are out of me, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of that, could you chisel right in here? I just can't get rid of it. I mean, the other went away, but this, I mean, I've tried exercising, I've watched what I ate, I even did Pilates for a while, that was awkward. But if you can chisel, right, I mean, right... Can I talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, talk, chisel, No, talk, no, 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 chisel. All right, most of my children just like to talk. Not me. Bring on the chisel. Here we go. All right. You have a lot of anger. Ow. Some pride. Ow. Compare yourself to others instead of me. Ow! 
you're lazy, but you pretend like you're really, really busy, you have a problem with lust. Okay. Time out. I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. Um, maybe, maybe we take a little time out. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, but when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay. Then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see my son. Here we go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, don't take this the wrong way. It's just that when I start looking more like your son, um, people get uncomfortable around me, you know? I mean, even my friends at church, they're all like, oh, you're holier than thou. Why would you do that, you know? I mean, not what you're doing right now is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yes, it is. It's hard to talk to you. I mean, you know everything I'm thinking. I'm just saying, you've done good work. Maybe we take a little break, a little time out, then we'll come back to right. it. What you're doing right now is so common. What you're doing right now is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control? Chisel? Control? No, no, chisel! Here we go. No, can, can we chisel where I want that? It's called control. Okay. <laughs> you've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? hurts me more than it hurts you. Ow! I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again expecting different results and there are the things in your life you even think back to high school that you've been doing that do not work in your life but you go to these empty wells whenever you're hurting whenever you're angry whenever you're lonely and tired but they do not work no no okay okay um i'm thinking maybe your we could not my thoughts oh okay but if we went another way your we ways could... are not my ways okay well look i can't be good you can't be good i've made you good be good What is it? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just... God, I've let you down so many times. No. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand, and don't you forget that. In this relationship, I hold you up. Away. All right. But just, just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because God, I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror. And it is this, this scared little kid who gets up every day and tries to dress like an adult and act like an adult. But I can't. So just be prepared for what you're going to find in you have listened to so many voices for far too long that are not of me. You think you're junk, don't you? You really, really, really think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? How can I show you that my love for you has no boundaries? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. God. Yes? 
I was just saying, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. You know what? It's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's, it's more it's... than a name. It's more than a saying. It's more than a bad habit. It's a name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from, from a journal I had when I was younger. How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Angie Holland. Other side. Sorry. I married her. I was there. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Dear God, today I am turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how it's possible, but I want that with all that I am. So please do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Tommy. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. So this salvation that you hold, don't let it be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And don't compare yourself to someone else because that is just trivial nonsense. You are my original masterpiece. You are one of my workmanship and you I find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison, but look at this as a, a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, it'll be tough. But you bought into the lie, thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. It's not how it works. I want you to do something. I want you to look up there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy. No, 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 no. The way you see yourself or you yearn so much for others to see you. But the way I see you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. So are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. All right, what'd you think? Pretty good? Make you think. Um, I'm glad that Andrew's here because as uh, the uh, representative of the ordained priesthood, uh, he's brought a chisel and a hammer if anybody wants to stay after class. We, we actually got a blowtorch. Uh, <laughs> for a little heavier jobs. Um, you know, there is a lot of, I don't know if you're like me, but there's a lot of chiseling that's been done in my life. Um, and I know that there's much more chiseling that needs to uh, to be done. What did you think about it? What what uh, anything particularly strike you? Anything he said? There's a lot of scripture in there. It's just all good. All good. About the fear he kept, he was terrified of letting go of those those parts that, he, that were being chiseled off, and he kept committing <coughs> second thoughts, committing second thoughts. It's like this constant lifetime of, of doubt yeah 
Yeah, he said lifetime of doubt and fear of letting go, and there was also he, sh he showed physical pain as as each one was being chipped off. That's probably true. Victor, you had something. I thought the uh, you don't understand me, God. Yeah, <clears throat> you don't understand me, God. Isn't it funny when you, we see these kind of depictions? I think it's really it it, it kind of throws light uh, uh, and stark relief some of the things that we actually say a lot to God in our prayer life. Sometimes that if, if we could visually see God, I think he'd be saying, you know, really, Don, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Helps. Anything else? Our small group's been talking about the tongue, and when he used the Lord's name in vain by just saying God, we've been talking about, you know, what really is and what really isn't taking God's right. Yeah, and I love the way he very quickly picked up on that. God did, and, and, and wouldn't let it go by. Wouldn't give him a pass on that. The name above all names. Um, you know, I wrote some things down just to remind you, because I've seen this now quite a few times. But all right, so here's some things that God said. I take out all of the things in your life that are not of me. He said, I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see see not you, but my son when they look at you. Uh, God said, would you rather play God in certain areas of your life? No, you would rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over all of your life. Um, he said, you don't hold me up in this relationship. I hold you up. Well, that was powerful. Uh, and then he said, you have bought into the lie that once you said yes to me, it was going to be easy. That's not how it works. And I think this is such a good metaphor or an image for us to use as we think about uh, and work through the whole idea of sanctification, the reality that grace never leaves us where it finds us, but it kind of pushes us out. It, it, it calls us to move out. And I just love the image of God chipping away on those parts of us that don't look like his son. Um, but a word of caution about this metaphor. metaphor. First, it's a, it's a metaphor. That's all it is. And if it doesn't work, it's not scripture. So if it doesn't work for you or creates an obstacle for you in some way, throw it out. Don't let that get that get between you and the idea of sanctification. Uh, but the second thing to remember is, I think it's really important as you think about this, is who's doing the chiseling. Okay, It's not self-chiseling. Okay, It's not self-chiseling. And just as important, it's not you chiseling on somebody that you know and love. Okay? <laughs> That's not what we're called to do uh, in this particular case, I don't think. And, and as we look at this sanctification issue, what we're talking about today, and we're just going to barely, barely stick our toe, barely stick our big toe in this uh, uh, very large body of water that's very tumultuous. We're going to talk a little bit about um, an area in my life where um, uh, it it's, uh, continues to work its way out, and that's in the area of work or vocation. How do, we, how do we become sanctified? How does the Holy Spirit sanctify us in our work, in our vocation? Um, whether it's business, whether it's a profession, whether it's community work or volunteer work, whether it's a for-profit, non-profit, what we've been vocationally called to do, how does the Holy Spirit um, uh, go about this, this work of sanctifying us? And, and really, I just want to introduce the concept to you. Uh, there'll be at least three kinds of people in this room today, I think, if, if, if it fits with kind of where everybody is. There'll be those of you who, quite frankly, haven't spent much time struggling with this. You don't struggle much with, how am I sanctified in my workplace? And that's okay. Um, there'll be those of you who have struggled with this or pondered this a bit, 
and then it got a little tiresome, a little scary, a little hard, not enough answers, and you had to leave it because you got busy or uh, there just weren't any real solutions there. And then I think there'll be others of you who are uh, in the process right now of struggling with that and trying to understand how do you sanctify what you do uh, from 9 to 5. Uh, and there's a fourth group, and these are the people I'm really worried about. If you think that you're in a group that I haven't named, and you're in the group that you have been there, done that, got the T-shirt, understand it, and it's all taken care of, okay, uh, then this class is really for you. You need to really think about this because my experience at least is, and I think it holds true scripturally, that um, this side of heaven... Um, we're not sanctified. We're not completely sanctified. And oh, by the way, for those of you who are looking forward to heaven because there is no work in heaven, <laughs> Canon Pearson, what would you say about that? Is there work in heaven? Yeah, you might want to just stay where you are. <laughs> There's work in heaven. Good news is there is work in heaven. Uh, the bad news is it won't have uh, any of the uh, the uh, uh, things that come as have come about as a result of the fall. Uh, it'll be perfected. So I'm really looking forward to that. Okay. So here's what here's the the the, the outline I'm going to use. Just really three basic quick points. We won't get very deep into it, but just want you to regardless of where you are in that in the process to be thinking about this. First is we got to talk about this just a bit. There is a problem here. Okay. There is a problem. There is chiseling that needs to be done in our vocational setting. Okay. The second point would be that this can be particularly difficult and it can be costly. Chiseling in this area can be very materially costly. Okay. Uh, and that's something that we can see right away. But usually material things have an immediate impact. Uh, in some other areas of our lives, it takes a little bit longer for that to happen. But in this area, you can see that it might have a material impact. Uh, and then the third thing is that the answer is not easy and we're not here I'm not here to give you answers but the the answer is not easy uh, but it is possible and there's hope so those three things we want to talk about first there's a problem there's chiseling that needs to be done um, you know he talked about um, well I'm, I'm, uh, uh, he, he talked about uh, I'm gonna skip that because I think we're gonna run out of time on most days let me ask this question on most days do you find yourself checking your faith as it were do you find yourself um, checking your faith at the door of where it is that you spend whatever you're doing vocationally? Is it possible for you to metaphorically come in uh, into your office or wherever your workplace might be and put your faith hat and your faith coat up on the hook and work for four to six to ten to twelve hours and then pick it up on your way out the door and never give much thought to what God has to do with all the work that you're doing in the daytime. Does anybody, no raise hands, but just think about it internally. Has that ever happened to you? Um, it seems that most of us that claim to be believers and followers of Christ uh, typically understand at some, at some level, how does our faith kind of impact our marriages? And how does our faith kind of impact our church lives? And how does our faith impact our family lives? We, there, there's almost an uh, inherent connection there. But there's not so much in 21st century America, I think at least, there's not so much inherent connection with how does, how does my faith impact the stock price of my portfolio? Or how does my faith impact the cold call that I'm going to make this morning? Or how does my faith impact uh, the, the sink that I've got to clean up for the hundredth time uh, in the office building? Okay? Sometimes there's, it seems like it's much more easy for us to have a disconnect there. Um, and if, um, um, if you have that, I think that a part of, I've read a lot of literature on this. I spent a long time, you know, I've, I've been reading about this for 
20, 20, 30 years. Um, and, and one of the things that the literature suggests, and I think I found true in my life and in other people's life, is that the reason why we don't do such a good job, that's because we compartmentalize. We kind of instinctively think that there are some things that's God stuff and some, some, and some other things that are not necessarily God stuff. And work, the pedestrian idea of work sometimes, kind of fits into that compartment of, well, this is not really God stuff. Um, um, and um, the root cause of this type of thinking, I think, if you really get down to the root cause, is believing that there's some kind of a secular, sacred divide in life. That there's a, we've got this compartment for this is the God compartment, the, the sacred stuff, and over here is the secular stuff. It may be the stuff that you think he doesn't really care too much about. Or maybe the stuff that is, like, like I said, is too pedestrian for him. Or it may be the stuff that nobody will allow us to really bring the sacred into this particular area because it's inappropriate or it's not helpful or it's just not done. Uh, or you might get involved in a lawsuit or something if you start talking about stuff like that. Um, the truth of the matter is there is no secular versus sacred divide. If there is, it wasn't created by God. It was created by man. I would suggest that we look very clearly at Scripture and see where you can find in the body of Scripture that says that God doesn't care about every part of our lives. I just haven't found it. It's just not there. And so this compartmentalization of our work, I think, uh, is that, that we, we've done that. It's not anything that's, uh, that's uh, scriptural. It's we've done that. And then, um, so if, that, if, if we approach the problem that way and we start to understand, well, it's, it's, it's because we've compartmentalized it, then a logical solution to this would be, well, then what we need is more balance in our lives. Let's get more balance in our lives. Let's balance better the, the parts of our lives that we consider to be sacred with the parts we think secular. And I would uh, submit to you, and this is not an original idea with me, that that's the totally wrong approach. It's not about balance, guys. It's not about, it's about integration. How do you integrate your life in that way, particularly at work? How do you integrate your work life with your faith, faith life? Now, some people have vocations that make it a little bit easier. In the healing professions, you can often see a very close um, tie uh, between the, the, the sacred and the secular and exactly what you're doing every day and reaching out to people in service uh, and, and nonprofits a lot that are, that are servicing those. You can see that. But, you know, I'm in the software business. It's kind of a stretch, <laughs> you know. I'm in the software business. And really what we do, what our software product does, our product helps physicians make more money. It really does. That's what it does. That, that seems, you know, it could on its, on its face seem kind of secular, right? Um, so the, the issue is not one of balance. I would submit to you that it's one of integration. Um, and, if, and, I, and we won't go through them, but if you'll refer back to those scriptures, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter, and 1 Chronicles is really about this first point, the talking that uh, there is a problem that God cares about all areas of our lives. Uh, it's not about balance. It's about how do we integrate. And, and, and I think that, the, that, which leads really to the second uh, point that I want to make, and that is that this is a particularly difficult place to do that because here's, here's the way I think about it. How do you fully integrate your life that's been bought and paid for with a price while you are working for somebody that has bought and paid for your time. Whether it's your partners, whether it's your employer, whether it's you. You know, in our vocation, our time is what we're given. Our time and our talents is what we're given, and we're paid for that, you know, in, in, in many senses. And I think that's what leads to it being a particularly difficult and sometimes costly place to, um, to look at, um, at how you would integrate your lives. Um, Look at uh, the scripture, Matthew 6, 24 on there. 
this is uh, at, at the, uh, at, I think, at the very root of what um, the issue is at work, what makes it so difficult. No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I think that one of the difficulties of us having a fully integrated or a more integrated, sanctified work life is this. In work, typically, in our vocations, there are many, many masters. And there's great clarity about those masters. Okay? Uh, a boss can be a master. An employee, if you have them, can be masters. Customers are masters. Clients are masters. Partners can be masters. Shareholders can be masters. The bottom line can be a master, right? There are so many deadlines are masters. We have so many very clear and identified masters at work that are constantly vying for our time and attention um, that it makes it difficult uh, in this context of serving two masters. And they're not necessarily bad masters. And they're not necessarily negative masters. Uh, but they are masters nonetheless. And, and, and through much reading and study about this, I think there's another thing. There's an imposter king at work. Y'all know who the... And there's an, every, every vocation has an imposter king. Do you know who that imposter king is? Take a, take a stab, particularly in for-profit businesses. What? Profit. Profit. There's nothing wrong with profit. Nothing wrong with profit. But in what part of your life do you have such a clear understanding of what is king? In an organization that is a for-profit organization, every decision is made, is made at least in the back of your mind from every employee with the idea of who is king. If we do this, then we might lose a customer which means that we might lose money. We might lose some profit. If we make this decision about the process, it's going to cost us more money, and therefore our profitability might be affected, even though it might seem like the right thing to do. If we try to hire more employees, it might negatively impact profit. I mean, everything goes through the grid of profitability. It's not bad, but think about it. It is a, it is a oftentimes silent and other times very vocal and loud king that everybody in the work organization knows has to be honored, has to be served. And if you don't serve and honor the king, what happens? Bad things, right? So it's not that the king is bad. The reason why I think this is difficult is because if we're going to dethrone the king of profitability in our work lives, there are consequences. And this is not an either-or kind of situation. It's an and-but. We have to be profitable in business. We have to service our clients in a, in a uh, nonprofit organization. Uh, so there is the, we have to work excellently. We're called to work excellently. But if you make it king in your life, that's where the problem, uh, the rub kind of is. Uh, and, and the king in uh, business um, and, in, and in work, like I said, is, is usually pretty clear. Does that make sense or is that, am, I, am I overemphasizing the, 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 the fact that there is a clear king at work? You may never have thought about it this way, and I may be wrong, but I will tell you, I'll bet I've thought about it at least as, not as excellently, but as long about this as anybody in this room. Okay, it keeps coming back to that. Um, now, the problem is we're not trying to dethrone, uh, we're not trying to get rid of that king overall. What I'm suggesting that we need to do is move the, um, uh, the ascendancy of that, our priorities of our, who our, our masters are at work, and, uh, and to uh, demote 
the, um, the kingship of profit, as it were, or whatever, whatever that, that particular single goal is, so that we can put back up on the throne at work who really is our master and who really is our king. And, and that is not a, an easy thing to do, but it's also not one that, um, uh, that makes us not be excellent workers. Please hear this. I'm not talking about anything that would make us be anything less than excellent. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that it would make us be uh, better contributors at what it is that we do on a daily basis. Okay. Come back at me on that, anybody? I'd love for somebody to come back at me too and say, that's, that's, yeah. I keep thinking of Nehemiah acknowledging the king, and the king prophet is king, but we don't worship the king. And maybe that's kind of where you're going. Yeah, that's a better way to say what what it took a long time to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nehemiah worshiped the Lord and was willing to confront the king, but acknowledged the king as well that he had. Thank you. Other? Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't make it easy. Because like I've said to Jane for years, that all these things are great, but the guy at the Piggly Wiggly still wants $2.73 for a loaf of bread. Yeah, Don, I'm, I'm really glad that you're trying to get sanctified here at work, but, you know, I need to be paid. I need to be paid. It's fact of life. All right. Third thing that I want to mention to you is just that uh, in, in looking at, at lots of the literature, I think... I think it's not as hard as I make it be. Just me personally, make it be. It's not really that hard. The answers seem to be, you know, how do we, how we sanctify it at, at work? It's the answers are simple. They're hard, but they're simple. And it's this: for most of us, um, uh, well, let me, let me, I, I tell you what, let me read. This is from a guy named uh, uh, Gene Veith, I think is how he says his name. God at work. It's really on vocation. But here's what, here's what he says I think is really good. He says, what surprises some Christians is that when all is said and done, the specific responsibilities of vocation are really not any different from the outside for Christians or non-Christians. A Christian construction worker or a Christian physician does pretty much what a good non-Christian does in those fields. The difference is on the inside. As faith or the lack of faith makes a difference in the meaning of those tasks and in the way that they become acceptable to God. The doctrine of vocation brings the spiritual life literally down to earth. And that's what most of the good literature, there's much bad literature out here on this, by the way. Most of the good literature suggests that it's an internal, it's not an external issue. It's an internal issue. And doesn't that match up with what we know about sanctification and all the other parts of our lives as well? It's usually about an internal kind of issue. It's not an external kind of thing. Um, And the, um, the, 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 the consistent themes that, that I read and see here is what it's about. It's a, it comes back to the, uh, the summary of the law that we hear in church so often. When they ask Jesus, you know, uh, you know, what's the most important law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? It's about honoring God and serving others. It's the sign of the cross. It's what it's really about. Uh, it's a vertical relationship first, and then it's a horizontal relationship that we hang everything else on. It's no different at work. Um, honoring God, really the best way we can do that is can we reflect God's character in our work daily? Can we reflect God's character? Can we look for opportunities to do that? And it means things like you know already, things like reflecting integrity. You know, what's God's character? Integrity a loving and merciful God, a serving attitude with people, honesty, unselfishness, mercifulness, being slow to anger, being joyful, faithful, and generous as we pursue growing in those areas, and this is the key, from the inside out, 
that produces humility and authenticity. And that honors God. But if we do it trying to honor Don, being a great leader or businessman, that doesn't seem, my experience and understanding of Scripture is that doesn't seem to please him at all. It pleases Don, but it doesn't seem to, to please him. It doesn't, certainly doesn't honor him. Um, and then is, is the second part of that is serving others. You know, so how do we, how do we serve others? And, and, and by definition, our vocation requires us to do that quite often. You know, I, I found something that I wanted to read to you from a, and it's just funny how things work. I knew this guy's son in college, and about a year ago, I, I found out his dad had written a book. And um, his dad, um, uh, they live in Columbus, Georgia. It's the um, Turner family. Does anybody know the Turner family in Columbus? Got a lot of. They've been very successful in business. Uh, uh, I just remember when I graduated from college, I knew that they were involved with Coca-Cola, and I bought my first shares of Coca-Cola stock, and I opened up the shareholders' report, and there was Mr. Turner's name, and it didn't have asterisks by the amount of shares that he had. It had an actual percent as an individual. Oh, wow. These guys uh, have done really well for themselves. Well, the Turners have uh, lots of businesses there. And Mr. Turner, um, my, my friend's father, wrote this book about servant leadership, and I just ran it just found it. Um, it, it probably it wasn't self-published, but almost self-published. Uh, so it's not like he's a, a, a big author. But um, let me see. Well, I'm trying to remember what page I want to read here. Listen to what he said about this. I think this is good. He said, it's only been as I've grown in faith that I've come to understand that greatness never terminates in self. It comes with loving service to all people in all areas of life. And I thought it was so well put in a, a single sentence by a man who's just a, a guy um, uh, working in Columbus, Georgia. He's gr- as he's grown in faith, he's come to understand that greatness never terminates in self, that it comes with loving service to all people and all areas of life. As Christian, the real purpose of our work is to serve others, whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, an Indian chief, a plumber, whatever it is. That's really what we're called to do, honor God uh, and serve others. Um, it's not about what we do, but it's about who we are in Christ. Okay, I want to keep you for two minutes longer because said much better than anything I've said is this uh, this whole idea of can we worship at work? And I thought this little two-minute film um, does a good job of explaining it. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, 
but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days on our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. understand and define um, why we're here, Lord. Uh, where did we come from? What we're supposed to do with our lives? And most importantly, Lord, what happens to us um, when we close our eyes in death? Father, you've given us your word uh, to explain your nature, to explain who you are, uh, what our problem is, and how you have solved that problem. Lord, you have uh, given us one another in the church uh, to encourage us, to lift us up, Father, and to, um, uh, and to be prepared to do your work that you provided for us in this world. I just ask is that each of us uh, leave Sunday and head to Monday, Lord God, that you would uh, that you would give us hearts that desire to bridge that gap and uh, to, Father, uh, look at what you might have for us to do just tomorrow, Lord, and what you might call us to do in our lives. We might honor you. We might serve others in our work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.